podcast one production. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. Over the past 15 years, I've seen women's sports thrive. It's on our TVs, it's filling our stadiums, and our athletes are some of the best in the world. But it hasn't always been easy for them. In each episode, I speak to an elite Australian sportswoman and get to know the person behind the athlete and find out how they've overcome challenges and setbacks on the rise to the top of their field. Not only do I love watching and playing sports myself, but when my daughter Imogen was born, I promised myself that I would introduce her to this wide world of women in sport. So that's what I want to do with this podcast series. I want to share these elite sportswomen's stories and inspire the next generation of little girls and boys to dream big and believe in themselves and their sporting ability. I've been following Elisa Healy's career long before you could easily access information on the Australian women's cricket team in the media or do something as simple as switch over the channel and watch them on TV. I'm almost ashamed to admit to it now, but I was always particularly interested in how this wicketkeeper with a famous surname would go. Even early on, I knew the answer was far. Elisa first wore the green and gold when she was just 19 and has gone on to be one of the most recognisable faces in cricket. And has there ever been any bigger show of the power of the women's game than the ICC T20 World Cup final at the MCG, with a record 86,000-plus fans cheering Australia on to an incredible victory? The player of that final was Elisa. She's a game-changer on the field, but also cheeky, a lovable trickster, a self-confessed pest, and just basically a whole lot of fun. But she's overcome some big challenges too, in particular the loss of her big sister when she was just a teenager. Elisa comes from a legendary cricketing family, but as a kid, she just wasn't that interested in cricket. Now, tell us, cricket is obviously in your blood. Your surname is synonymous with Australian sport and Australian cricket. Your dad, Greg, he played for Queensland. Ian, your uncle, Hills, uh, obviously Australian cricket legend, playing for Australia for so long. Um, I feel like Ken as well, your uncle, always misses out, but he played cricket for Queensland yeah, as well. Did. Yeah, he's the one that's forgotten in the whole whole lot. But <laughs> he was actually pretty good as well. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny. Kenny will give you a shout out. But tell us your story. How did you start? Uh, yeah, well, I think everyone just naturally assumes that I sort of just started the game because everyone else played cricket in my family, but it wasn't really the case. I didn't want a bar of it when we were living in Queensland, obviously born up there and um, didn't, want to, didn't want to play cricket. I was heavily into soccer and every other mm-hmm. sport other than cricket. Uh, it wasn't until we moved down to Sydney when I was seven that um, actually one of the girls from school said to me, well, like to go down to the local park this weekend and try this. Uh, it was called Milo Have a Go at that stage and went down and gave it a go and still didn't like it. I think I found myself in the sandpit a few times and Dad was coming down, <laughs> running down the hill and telling me to have another go and it must have clicked a couple of weeks in and all of a sudden I was playing in the in the local junior boys comp after that. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't really – wasn't really interested in the game. I probably didn't really understand what Uncle Ian was doing at the time. All I ever mm. saw was he was on the TV wearing his – green hat and white clothes and I didn't really probably understand what was happening but uh, I guess once I fell into the game a little bit more uh, both dad and uncle Ian probably took a little bit more notice and thought they could probably help out where where I might need. What about backyard cricket? Was that a part of your family tradition at all? Uh, A little bit I think 
Christmases and family events, I think Backyard Cricket came out, but I'm sort of the oldest one of all of our cousins. So mm. we were still quite young when I was living up there and when we had those family gatherings. So it was there, it was present, but it wasn't any anything quality like it has been um, now that we're all a little bit older. But, You're in the sand uh, pits too. I was, yeah, I was in the pool probably more <laughs> than anything else. I was a water baby. So yeah, it, it was there, but I think probably dad and both my uncles probably played so much cricket over the years that family time was family time and we yeah. didn't sort of do it too much. But all of my male cousins have since, um, you know, played the game and they mm-hmm. still play. I think Uncle Ken still plays with um, his son Lewis <laughs> in the club competition. So it's, um yeah, it's still still within our family, but I'm the only female that seems to play the game. So when th- then did it go, when did it click? When did cricket start being something that you took seriously and you thought, okay, I can give this a good go? Funnily enough, it was probably only when I debuted for Australia. It sounds really stupid and probably <laughs> people are very surprised by that. But yeah. Uh, I sort of, it was just a hobby of mine. It was something I really enjoyed. And like I said before, I've I've played every sport under the sun. Mm. All I wanted to do was be outside and, and playing with my friends. And in saying that, cricket was the one constant throughout that whole time. I played a lot of other sports th- during the winter, but I always played cricket and I was always training um, with New South Wales pathway squads and throughout the year. So it probably never dawned on me that that was what I could do. But in saying that, it was always a constant. So it does surprise me in a way that it took me to debut for Australia to realise that I could take this seriously and this could be my career. And it was probably the the way that the game was at the minute at that time as well. You know, it wasn't fully professional. A lot of the girls were still working full time. You know, you hardly even saw the Australian team on the TV. So for us, it wasn't really a real dream considering we didn't know that it really existed. So I guess once we were there and we were experiencing it, we probably thought it's actually a pretty cool job and maybe I could see where I could take it. You say you played lots of sports, soccer and so many of them, but what what was it then about cricket that really stuck out to you? I'm not sure. I think I loved playing team sports. That was one thing that was consistent throughout all the sports I played. They were all team sports. I only gave I gave tennis about six weeks of my life and hated it. <laughs> Me too. I, I did diving for about four weeks, hated that too. I couldn't handle the pressure on my own. I needed my teammates around me. So, yeah, I'm not 100% certain. It was just there. I think I was good at it, honestly. I think that's what, what it came down to. I probably didn't know that at the time, but I was good at it. I loved my teammates, whether it be the boys or, or the girls that I was playing with in the local competition. I just enjoyed being out there with friends. I think that that probably helped me stick to it. But I think I was good at it as well, which I think does help. Tell me, was there any pressure then having that Healy surname and playing cricket? Definitely. I think uh, looking back on it, there was probably a lot of pressure. But I always actually saw it as a bit of a blessing. I often think that would they have looked twice if my last name wasn't Healy, there was a Healy behind the stamps, would they have stopped and actually watched to, to see what she could do? I, I often wonder that. But there was a lot of added pressure, I think, um, you know, especially being a wicketkeeper, everyone assumes that you can do everything just as well as what he can. I think even being a female, I think um, people still assume that you should be able to do it really well. So a little added pressure, but at the same time, I, I saw it as a as a blessing and, and something that I could try and achieve what I wanted to achieve. I think a lot of the time throughout my younger days, everyone compared me to Ian and I was always Ian Healy's niece. So it's kind of nice to knock down a few of those walls now and I'm just my own person. It 
it doesn't get brought up too much that um um you know Ian Healy's niece playing for Australia. It's it's actually Elisa Healy playing for Australia, which I think is really nice, and it's um it's nice to have that comparison. Nice to have that person at the mm. other end of a phone call as well to talk about the game, but um. It was definitely more of a blessing than than pressure. I think Ian would probably say that now he gets called at Lisa Healy's uncle, <laughs> not just Ian Healy. Yeah. Um, well, let's fast forward then to 2006. You're selected in the Barker College Cricket First Eleven. Um, for those who don't know what the First Eleven is, it's, it's the best team in the whole school and that's a co-ed school for you as well. And by the best team, you're actually playing with the boys in that competition. Um, but it didn't go down so well with everyone. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, it was, for me, it was a really exciting time in my life. I feel like, I think it helped me develop a lot really quickly, but yeah, it was, it was obviously really interesting at the time. Uh, I was just playing outside school. I was playing for New South Wales at the time. In girls? um, In the, in the women's team and was just sort of, I guess still learning the game but still playing at a reasonably high level and the uh, the head of cricket there wandered over to me one day and approached me and said, look, do you want to try out for the, the first 11? And I said, oh, sure, why not? Like I've played with the boys my whole life. I'd probably taken a break 12 months before from that to focus more on the women's um, game and so I hadn't played with the boys for probably 18 months and I thought, oh, I'll give it a crack, I'll test test myself out, see where I'm at. Look, if I'm not good enough, please don't pick me just for the sake of it because I don't want that. I'll play second 11 if that's where you see me, but let me trial along with everybody else and let's see how I go. And Was there a women's team in the school at that point? No, nah, there wasn't. Yeah, if I wanted to, to play cricket for the school, it was going to be with the boys. And funnily enough, I trialled and uh, get a phone call to say that I'm being picked in the first 11 and... Uh, literally after that all hell broke loose. I think uh, I remember my parents being away. My dad travelled a lot for his work and they were overseas and my grandma was looking after me and I remember a knock on the door at 6am and it's Denham Hitchcock from Channel 9 News with the newspaper and saying, would you like to comment on this? And I said, I'm still in my pyjamas. I said, oh, excuse (laughs) me, what are you talking about? And as I looked a little closer at the newspaper, it was a, a headline about Osama bin Laden and a photo of me in my Barker school outfit uh, holding a bat. Um, turns out that one of the old boys had written a, a letter in disgust that a female was playing in the in the boys' side and, um, you know, it was a disgrace to the, to the competition, obviously the school. And unbeknownst to me, all the media had picked up on it and um, had really run with it that day. So I was in for a shock that day. Thankfully, I didn't have to get the train. Someone drove me to, <laughs> to school and um, I escaped through a, a side gate and, uh, watch the principal run around to all the gates all day answering media, which was uh, quite funny for all of my friends. <laughs> and you're like 16, 17 at yep. this stage. Yeah, still, I think I was 17 at the time and probably hadn't been used to probably that much media and that much scrutiny. It was probably the first time mm. that I'd really properly been scrutinised. So, um, But look, the school were unbelievable in handling that. All the teammates of mine were fantastic as well. I didn't mm. feel like anyone different than them. Uh, they accepted the fact that I was in the team and, um, look, I, I didn't have the best season. I remember being really nervous for most of it, but we won the premiership and that's all that matters. <laughs> did that just make it even more sweeter, <laughs> the fact that you did win? Yeah, well, it was probably really nice as well to see the school and, and a lot of the older community, uh, Barker community, support me as well. I think that was probably the first time that I really felt supported by 
the whole community. I think, um, you know, a lot of the time there is a lot of that scrutiny uh, about females playing sport and, you know, whether or not they can handle that. And I guess for, for a lot of the oldest, older community within the school and, and my friends as well to say, you know what, she's been good enough, she's been picked, let's see how she goes. And, and the, your teammates, the boys in the team, they fully supported you at that time as well? Because it's a different landscape for women back in 2006 to what it is now. Yeah, I think so. I, I've still got some really good friends that I've played with and against um, in that competition throughout that, that season. So for me, I felt really supported. The boys all got around me and, and made sure I was okay. And honestly, I just went on with my cricket. That's how I've always approached life. It was just move on, let's um, let's just go and play cricket. It was what I enjoyed doing. And I honestly say to this day that it really improved my cricket at that point in time. Yeah. I think just it was an extra step up. The boys were obviously a lot bigger and stronger than what I had been playing against and for me it was just a really good learning curve and I learned a lot about my game and I guess how I could develop it moving forward and obviously take that into the female game and, you know, hopefully play for Australia. I just want to take a step back and talk about that email from that old boy that was sent to the school principal. It was titled Save Barker Cricket Now and like you said, he called it an attack, he called it a disgrace and a challenge to the institution. And you're 16, 17, 17 years old at that stage. Take me back to those feelings that you were feeling at that time, having reporters. Yeah, it was it was weird. Um, I probably didn't fully understand it. I think now I'm a little bit older and I probably see what happens probably in society a little bit more than what I was back then. I, was, I always just thought growing up, playing with the boys, I was one of the boys. I never thought any different. Mm. But, yeah, being a young female, being put under that much pressure and on the front page of the newspaper with a fairly nasty headline underneath, yeah, look, it was interesting. But for me, it didn't bother me that much. And I think I just put everything I could into the cricket and I wanted to just prove to them that I was good enough. I was obviously selected for a reason. I actually, funnily enough, bumped into the boy who was the second 11 keeper who was obviously supposed to be in the first 11, right. his brother-in-law the other day at uh, the Qantas Club, and he said, oh, are you Elisa Healy? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, you bumped Alex out of the uh, first <laughs> 11 um, back at Barker. And I said, oh, so people still talk about it and get a laugh out of it. And, yeah, look, it, it didn't bother me that much, but for me it was probably just an eye-opening experience about, you know, how people really – reacted at that time to, mm. you know, females play, doing what they're doing and playing in sport. And like I said, I think that little stint improved my cricket. Made I you stronger. It, it did and it probably made me a, a bit of a better human at the end of the day as well. I had to adapt to a lot of different situations. I remember touring with the boys and I was stuck on my own in a whole boarding house. The boys weren't allowed anywhere near it. It was just me in my own. So I was alone. I accidentally slept through the dinner because I was on my own. No one woke me up. Oh, so. Wow. Little things like that. I overcame a lot of little little challenges along the way, but mm. ultimately I think it made me a better cricketer and, and probably a better whole-rounded person as well. Did you ever find out who that old boy was? <laughs> no, I didn't. Do you have an inkling at all? Or? No, I never wanted to delve into it any more than that. I probably just didn't want to give it any more time than what it was getting. I think it was it got way too much publicity, way too much media, and at the end of the day... I did my job for that team. We won a premiership and he can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever think as well, with the landscape changing so much, do you think that that Barker incident could happen now? There's always a lot of people with differing opinions and there's probably emails that are going to be sent, but I think it's probably more acceptable now that 
there's going to be a female in that side if they're good enough. And I think Meg Lanning did it maybe two years after me down in um, down in Melbourne at Caulfield Grammar. I think she was at. So um, it happens, and a lot of the time, it's whether or not the the young girl is comfortable doing that. Like I grew up playing with the boys, but now there's so many opportunities for girls to play with other girls in competitions. They can play with the boys if they want. So ultimately, if they're comfortable playing with the boys, I think we're going to see more and more young girls, you know, break boundaries and and play in in boys and men's teams if they want to. But ultimately, that's if they're comfortable or not. So with more opportunities, I guess there's more choices. You've really seen both sides of, cricket's evolution for women and this shift and changing landscape. Um, you started playing for Australia in 19, you were 20? 19, yeah. You know, you, you started playing for Australia at the back end of what could be described as the bad old days or the tough old days um, and enjoying better days obviously now. But what do you remember as being the biggest change from back then? Well, for me, I think it, I saw it more at the domestic level, I think, playing I started playing for the Breakers when I was 16 and just seeing the girls work full-time throughout the day. Back then we used to train 6 till 8 at night or 6 till 8.30 if we could get the lights on to stay on an extra half an hour at the <laughs> SCG. And I remember just... Did they ever go off on you? Yeah, all the time. Really? It was 8 o'clock, off they go, off you get. You can go inside if you want. but Even um, if training hadn't finished, yeah, they're off. So be it. So that was... And it'd be dark. It was very dark, yeah. <laughs> You'd have to go inside and hit more balls if you wanted. But I think seeing the older girls in the side, more experienced ones, having to work full-time, come straight from work, some of them would only show up about 6.30, have to quickly warm up, bowl their 10 overs in the nets and then have a five-minute hit at the end. I think to see to see that as a young, a young girl still at school, feel like you've got the world at your feet, was really eye-opening and I guess – Gave me a little bit of perspective about how lucky I was that I was already in this side making a little bit of money, but I was making money and I was still at school (laughs) and I felt like that was really cool. But these guys were still working full time and and showing up and still performing really well for New South Wales or Australia and I thought that was really cool. And I remember my first season in the Australian squad, we had a big team meeting up at our first camp and I remember buzzing about and I thought, this is really cool. Uh, I'm so excited to be in this side and what's this meeting going to be about? And Belinda Clark stands up at the front and says, this is the way that we're going to take women's cricket. We're going to play T20 cricket. We're only really going to play that format and this is how we're going to market the game. And I remember sitting there being so disappointed at the time. I thought, I just want to play test cricket. That's, mm. that's what Uncle Ian did. It's what all the boys do. I just want that baggy green and I just want to play test cricket. And maybe even one day cricket is a bit longer. I had felt like I had a bit more time to sort of enjoy it. So I remember sitting there and I was so utterly disappointed. And 10 years later, sitting here talking about it, I can see what an amazing step that was from them and move from them to say this is how we're going to do it and mm. how how much it's opened up the game to the rest of the country and I guess the rest of the world as well. So, yeah, it was a lot different back then. It it was sort of you were making pittance and you were it was really a hobby. It was you were doing it for the love and I think that's probably nowadays that's something that we almost have to teach the young kids that you can still enjoy the game of cricket. It's not just it's not just your job. It's not just your career where you're making money and this is what you're going to do. It's actually we played it for the love of it and that's why 
this generation is so good because we saw both of both of those sides and we still appreciate the love of the game. So Yeah. But it's changed so dramatically over just the ten years I've been involved and I can't wait to see what it's like in another ten years for the young Phoebe Litchfields and Stella Campbells <laughs> of the world. I think it's gonna be incredibly cool for them. Did you have to work when you were playing as well? <laughs> I honestly you still studying? I'm uh, I'm still <laughs> studying, yeah, technically. No, I've been unenrolled by UTS. They've said, you've had enough time to try and finish your degree. I'm about five subjects short of my marine biology what? degree. So, yeah, like I was really fortunate. I didn't have to work that much. I took a year off after school and most kids do a gap year and go and travel and I worked at KFC. So I felt like that kept me really grounded. Rode, rode my bike there every day and that's how I, I sort of, kept myself busy and allowed me to go to training and sort of enjoy my cricket. And I enjoyed work as well. It sounds really silly, but I thoroughly enjoyed my work at KFC. No healthy options back then either. There was grilled chicken back then. I used <laughs> to make myself a grilled chicken wrap and only snack on the popcorn chicken when necessary. But I I really enjoyed that 12 months. I think people, all my friends were travelling the world and working overseas and, you know, yahooing around Europe. And I was stuck at KFC and training for my cricket and I loved it. Uh, I loved that balance and to be able to have enough time to go to uni and work and, and train was really cool. But it was the second year after that I got picked for that World Cup um, and it all ended. My schedule just went up and it was getting hard to sort of work, train and go to uni and slowly they've all subsided and eventually my uni's just gone down the drain as well a little bit of late. But that's just simply because we're playing more and, and that's just seen that change throughout that time. And that big change is that you get paid to play now in the Australian setup as well and um, and pay has, has increased for women. Um, saying that, that's probably been the biggest shift for the Australian women's cricket sporting landscape. But what's the biggest challenge facing women in cricket at the moment, do you think then? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of challenges that we're going to face over the next few years, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for these young girls uh, coming up. But at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on on our performance coming up. I think there's I think we get paid very handsomely for what we do for Australia, and obviously I'm married to a male player, so I can see the stark contrast, no pun intended, in the <laughs> in that pay packet. But I think for for what we do, we're paid reasonably well, and. I think with that naturally will come a high level of scrutiny and when you're not performing your best, people are going to call you out on that and I think that's something that women's sport traditionally hasn't had. I think naturally everyone just wants to shit can the fact that we're female and we're not doing stuff as well as the men but I think when you really delve into that um, because you're getting paid more or because you're on TV more, you will get a lot more scrutiny about your performance and and I saw that throughout WBBL5 in that, you know, I was probably a bit tired, a bit mentally fatigued and I, I wasn't making a lot of runs with the bat and I was coughing a lot more on social media. And, and at the same time, I think it's great that people that are watching true? and people care. And yeah. I guess we've got to take it that way, but it's all about how we're going to handle that moving forward. We've always just slid under the yeah. radar and, and gone about our business. But when people genuinely care and are investing in something, they're going to scrutinise what you do and make sure that you're performing to the best of your ability. So I think that's a real challenge moving forward. And I think our domestic system as well, I think, is sort of teetering at the moment. I think if we invest a little bit more in that um, in that second rung, I think it'll make it easier for players to stay in the game a little bit longer and then we won't have 
sort of 14, 15-year-old kids coming through, um, you know, ready to play for Australia, I think we'll still see the mm. the older, the Aaron Burns of the and the like stay in that game a little bit longer, which is what we ultimately what we what we want. Mm. It's interesting when you talk about um, scrutiny because I remember in the first couple of years of WBBL, I had a lot of male commentators come up to me at work and they were like, Sammy, how do we do this? Like how do we... You know, if their performance isn't good enough, can I say that? Like, can I can I say it? Can I, if they're not fit enough, how do I not say that they're overweight or they're fat? Um, like, and I'm like, you can say that they're unfit. Like, women's sports not going to benefit from false praise. Like, That's it's right. only going to benefit from real, authentic criticism and praise as well. But a lot of males were nervous the first time when women's sports started to come through into mainstream media. They're like, well, we don't know how to call this without feeling like we're being unfair for some reason. So it was an, it's, it's interesting, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a good development when you are as awful as it must be getting <laughs> criticised. I'm going to change direction a little bit now and talk about something personal. Um, I want to talk about your sister, mm-hmm. Corinne. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about her? <laughs> she was the golden child, uh, <laughs> my sister Corinne. Yeah, she was unfortunately passed away when I was 12, um, which is something that I wish upon nobody um, in the entire world. It's especially my parents. It's something that you never truly get over. I was obviously quite young at the time, so it probably didn't hit me as much as what it does now to be able to share some memories and things like that with her. And she's a bit old. She would have been a bit older than me, so to have um, you know little nieces and nephews running around would have mm. been nice. But um, yeah, look, that was obviously a really tragic part of our family and something for me that has enabled me perspective right throughout my life. Uh, I often think that when things are getting really tough at cricket, because cricket literally is my life, um, when things get a little bit tough, it, it's not hard to sit back and say, well, you know, it's not it's not the be-all and end-all. It's just a game. It's something that I love to do and it's always um, given me an escape from, you know, the grief and the sadness of, you know, of losing someone in your family. So, yeah, it was, it was not a nice moment of time, in time, but... You know, I think it's given me a lot of strength along the way and hopefully I, I can make sure I keep doing the best I can to, to make sure that, you know, I'm living up to what she would have wanted. Can you take us back to that day, that day that she passed away? Yeah, well, um, I actually remember it vividly just simply because my mum had a just a, a sick feeling. I remember coming home from school and Corrine played touch footy with her friends. She used to go straight there from school, straight to a friend's house, and they'd go straight to the touch footy field and someone would drop her home later. Her mum would go late and pick her up. And I remember coming home from school and I was sitting on the couch doing what I do, just probably being a pain in the bum like I was. And I remember mum fed me and she was just sort of sitting there and I ended up just going into the TV room and watching and she came in and said, I've got to go. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, I've. I just feel like I need to go and watch Corrine play. And I said, oh, okay. And my dad was away on a conference and I said, sure, no worries. Like, I'm fine. I was 12, but I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm fine here. Like, you go do what you need to do. And that's the last I heard. And all of a sudden uh, our family friend, uh, friends who who lived around the corner, knocked on the door and she came and picked me up and said, oh, um, you're coming to stay with us tonight. She didn't tell me at the time. She just Mm -hmm. said, oh, your mum's... Um, they're going to be out late, so you come and stay with us. It's fine. So I remember having the best night of my life. I was hanging out with my friends. and No idea. Next morning I was playing in the pool and I saw mum come around the corner of the house and I had 
had no inkling whatsoever. No one had told me. Um, I don't even know how our family friends kept a straight face the whole night because mm. I was chirpy as I was. I was a bit of a pest. And, yeah, mum just came around the corner and um, sat me down and said, uh, Corrine, pa- uh, she hadn't passed then. She, um, she collapsed at touch football and she's in hospital and um, she's on life support and um, it's not good. It's not looking good. And mm. I remember sitting there and it probably shocked me a, a little bit more than anything else and I was probably like, oh, just she'll be okay. Like she's mm. she's in hospital, she's getting the best care, she'll be okay. And I remember going back and, and playing a little bit but just seeing the look on mum's face that things weren't okay and it was probably only a couple of days later that, you know, she wasn't any better and visiting her in hospital was not overly nice and seeing all the tubes coming out of her and, yeah, it was... Interestingly enough, I was playing cricket the day that um, they decided to switch off the machines. I was at Dremoyne Oval playing with with the MLC, with my school team, which is uh, where I went to to high school first. And a lot of her friends were actually in that side and obviously knew what was going on. And um, interestingly enough, I made 100 that day. And after I walked off, um, Dad came over and said that they'd just switched off the life support. And if you wanted to go say your last goodbyes, you could go and do that. So, sorry. Um, so it was just a surreal day of a nice memory turned into a horrible one. And interestingly enough, it, it, it's always sort of on that day that we play a game of cricket and funnily enough, I've sort of seemed to make a hundred on that day every year, which is, um, kind of bizarre. It's a bizarre feeling, but a nice one as well. When you're 12, um, and you're chirpy and (laughs) a bit of a pest like Elisa, um, you just don't have a sense of mortality, do you? And oh, you watch TV, people are in hospital collapse and then they go into a coma or something and they come out. Yep. What was it like then for you and how much did that just change your life completely knowing just that sense of mortality and that your sister didn't come out of, mm. didn't get better? Yeah, you're right. It was sort of, it was probably something that I'd never even experienced, never really thought of. Our grandpa passed away when we were quite young so it sort of didn't, quite have the effect and we weren't living in in the state anyway so quite didn't quite have the effect and so I'd never really experienced anything like that but to all of a sudden have someone sitting opposite you at the table and and fighting and arguing over whatever we might have been doing playing Mario Kart on on the 64 or or whatever it might have been to all of a sudden have no one um yeah it was was a different sort of feeling and and obviously my parents still struggle to this day that um that it happened and why did it happen to them and, and to us? What did we do wrong sort of thing? And they struggled a lot um, and I remember watching them struggle and for me I probably went more internal than anything else and, and probably just shut down a little bit and got really quiet and probably wasn't the best daughter as a teenager either when you're going through teenage years and you're also, you know, dealing with grief and sadness and, and loneliness as well in the house, I think, um, probably came out that way more at home. I feel like I was still pretty chirpy around the cricket field. I think my friends just brought that out in me, but at home I sort of probably shut down a little bit more. And um, Yeah, so it was just a, a complete shock to the system, I, w- I would say, uh, more than anything else. And, yeah, still to this day it's not easy to talk about. I don't actually have to talk about it um, very much. Not too many people know uh, about my past unless I, I choose to tell them. So it's, um, 
yeah, it's it's not nice to talk about, but at the same time, I think I can, I guess, share the story to show that, you know, what you can still achieve and um, that it's given me perspective throughout my life and almost um, find a little tiny positive out of it, then so be it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Okay. And there's a lot of other people that are going through grief or unexpected things that hmm. would take a lot of strength from what you said. Corrine being your only sister, your mm. only sibling, did that put a bit of fire in your belly that you wanted to kind of do things to and achieve things to help your parents or to make them proud? Was it extra fire in your belly that you put into your sport and into your life? Yeah, I think so. And my mum hates it when I say it, but she heard me say it recently and I think an interview that I did that, you know, everything I do is I want to make them feel proud. I want them to feel happy. You know, it's it's a sad time for them. It's Corrine would have been, you know, 30-odd now and they miss out on all these life events that they would have had. And so for me, uh, if I can do a little bit in what I do and to make them proud, make them happy, you know, make them enjoy coming to watch me play cricket and see that I'm enjoying myself, I think, you know, I guess I, I do that subconsciously, but my mum hates it when I say that out loud really? because she often says, you don't need to make us proud, like you're, you're going well don't even worry about us, but it, it it is a little bit there and, yeah, just to make sure that I'm enjoying myself as well and, you know, when it does get tough to just keep smiling because it's not that tough. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm travelling the world playing a game that I love and, yeah, results don't always go my way but I'm still here. I'm on this walking around on this planet and I'm doing something I love and that perspective I think, you know, got me to where I am and, and hopefully for a little bit longer. And you've got this guardian angel looking yeah. down on you, yeah. um, especially with the bat. Unfortunately, I probably use it uh, a little bit naughtily sometimes when I cop a little bit of stick. So people often ask if I have a, if I have any siblings and I often just answer no because I never want to make someone else feel uncomfortable and if I just drop that on them. But as soon as they give me a bit of stick about it, oh, that makes sense, an only child, like, look at spoiled over here and I sit there and laugh along and then I'll drop a bomb on them <laughs> at some point. So I'm probably a bit naughty in that hurt, regard. must though if they say that. Though, no, like. it's fine. It's all it's all good. But, yeah, I never want to make them feel uncomfortable until they, say they start ribbing me for that. <laughs> <laughs> drop a bomb. I want to talk about another very special friendship, Elise Perry, it's, you guys have have played, um, been around each other and been the the cricket, two cricket sporting heroes since you were like She's been the golden girl. I've been been tugging along behind her, just like (laughs) riding on the coattails of Pez. That's one thing that if you ask her, she'd say that she's riding on the coattails of you as well. But it is a very special friendship that, that you two have been on, isn't it? Yeah. And I think funnily enough, that tragedy that happened probably brought us closer and we became sisters like over that it was almost I'm a bit older than Pez a couple months older so I'll claim it but yeah we we always got along really well I remember the first time I met her we were nine playing for New South Wales and down in Cobra and Baruga and we got along like a house on fire and just wanted to be outside all day I remember our parents yelling out the back of the motel we were staying at we were playing on the driving range um, hitting balls and I remember our parents yelling when it got dark for us to come back inside um, got a game to play tomorrow and we just did not care we were just having a great time and yeah I guess we probably bonded a little bit more after that and sort of just became sisters and we argue we fight like sisters do and <laughs> um, we've got very different opinions at times on on you know how things should operate and 
she's obviously the the ultimate professional in the game of cricket, and you can see that throughout her consistency of her career. Whereas I was sort of the other end of the the spectrum and really just enjoying my time uh, on tour or, or playing for Australia. So as as different as we were, we we got along really well, and and we were just like sisters. So it's um. Yeah, it's a really special thing that we've been able to to share throughout our careers. I think she's done some unbelievable things for female sport in this country. And, you know, I sit here and I'm always really proud of, you know, some of the things that she does and even writing a book, I think, is something yeah. pretty cool. And we always have a laugh about that. And I said, I'm not sure, not sure if I can read it. I don't know if you're going to tell any stories about us. But she said, no, there's nothing like that. And funnily enough, she'll, she'll leave me to write them for my book. So... That's no. um, yeah, we've been really lucky to share some really cool experiences together, and hopefully it it can continue for a couple more years. It's been very cool to see your both of you rise up. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about the other love of your life, um, Mitchell Stark, mm-hmm. who's obviously Australian men's um, fast bowler. You guys were teammates when you were little as yep. well. Get, tell us how young were you at that stage? Yeah, we played. Do you remember much? We of played you? from under nines through to. I stopped playing in the rep side about under 15s, under 16s. I think I played a couple of games in under 16s. But, yeah, from under 9s to under 15s, we played in the rep side together for Northern Districts and we actually used to share the wicketkeeping for the first three I find seasons. That hilarious. <laughs> uh, he was a little, a little bit shorter and a little bit wider back then. And um, I've seen a photo. He doesn't look anything like himself at all. He stretched. You look exactly the same. Yep. But he stretched big time uh, around 15, right I reckon he was. Yeah, he's got very tall but yeah that was um it's always a really cool story to tell people um we obviously weren't going out at that stage we were way too young but he always tells a story that um he always remembered me well I was the only girl in the side so naturally I think (laughs) the boys are going to remember that there was a girl whereas I sort of there was 10 other boys in the side I probably didn't remember Mitch that much he was really quiet um as he still kind of is really quiet very reserved so uh, I probably hung around the boys that were a bit more loud and um, a bit more my style. So, mm. yeah, but he always often jokes that he still remembers going down to Cheltenham Oval at at, at nine and, and seeing this little blonde girl running around playing cricket. So it's kind of cute. But, um, very cute. Very, yeah, very cute. A couple of years later it, it all happened. And now married. Mm-hmm. Does it make, and you, you alluded to this earlier, does it make the gender pay gap <laughs> in women's sport even more evident when your husband essentially does that same job as Australian cricketer as well and you see how much he earns to how much he does. Is it? How does that make you feel? Yeah, it's mm, – I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. It's sort of – it frustrates me sometimes but I also see what he has to put up with as well. He's on the road 11 months of the year you know, he's very highly scrutinised in the media, um, you know, especially being a fast bowler as well, the load that he puts through his body. Um, whilst I think, you know, I train harder than him, I think I, I see what he what he goes through and I guess what he does for cricket in this country as well. Like he's fairly well well known and a lot of the young kids aspire to be Mitchell Stark. So from that point of view, I, I feel like what he, what he earns is justified and yeah, that pay gap's there. Don't get me wrong. I'm very realistic about that. And I think we'll see it close. It has closed dramatically over the last even five years that that I've been, well, noticing it. So, 
But, yeah, it's always an interesting discussion to have it at the dinner table. Ultimately, it goes in the same pot for us, so we're, we're not too bothered. But it's from my point of view, it's nice to have somebody on our side in that environment fighting for us a little bit. He sits there and knows what we go through as, as female cricketers and um, ultimately what we think we should deserve or, you know, even just the language that's used around women's cricket. Um, we've got a, a little one in in the other side, in their camp that says pulls people up on things. And I think that's been the best thing that I've I've seen and, and something that I've sort of feel like I've taken a little bit of responsibility for in that for the for my generation coming through, it wasn't normal that women's cricket was there as well. It was seen as almost competing with the men. Like the boys would be like, well, well we need the nets now sort of thing. But for the young 16, 17-year-old girls now coming through, the boys that are playing there as well have just seen women's cricket. They know that it's there, it exists, they're one of us. So they're at such an advantage, these young girls, to say, well, don't segregate yourself, join in with them and say, go and train together, go and talk cricket together. I think you've got a real advantage. So for, for me, I see it in as, as an advantage that I'm actually around the, the Aussie men's team quite a lot Um you know, touring with Mitch when I can. And for me, I love talking cricket. So I'll jump in there. I'll sit with JL and talk about cricket for an hour and a half. I'll sit with Tim Payne and talk about wicketkeeping. And for them to just have those discussions with me as well, I think just normalises cricket, that it's men, women, it's anyone who's playing it. So that's something that, you know, I feel like I'm obliged to do. It's something I, I like doing, but yeah, it, it's sort of just normalising it that, you know, women play as well and we can just do that together, like it works. So both of you are kind of working inside to, to change <laughs> sounds, the landscape, yeah, doesn't I it? I sound no. like a super spy, but... No, yeah. but it does. That it, makes sense and it yeah. is normalising. You're right. You need people, you know, who understand the women's game. And you mm. you were talking about how much he trains, but you train so much and the impact he has on the on the cricket landscape and Australian sport. Don't underestimate Elisa Yearly and oh, so many little girls and boys and now, you know, watching WBBL and watching the Southern Stars and, and wanting to play like Elisa. Yeah. Um, so, I hope so. <laughs> but progression, there's progression there like you talked about. Yeah, there is. Um, another big change in that sporting landscape uh, is something that came in in 2019 um, just recently is that change in parental leave mm. for cricket recently amazing changes in paid parental leave. Um, yep. Women if, um, now get 12 months um, paid parental leave yep. um, and an surety that your contract will be there when you want to come back, no rush, and also support for um, a carer when you are travelling on tour. Um, how did that, has that change for you changed anything about the way you approach cricket and motherhood and the way you see your future as well? Unfortunately, not for me. I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit old. I think if I was maybe four years younger, I think it'd really make me reassess, you know, potentially having kids and um, still being able to, to play cricket at the top level. But uh, it's just an unbelievable policy, I think. It's also equal for the men and the women. You know, the, the boys playing domestic cricket get it just as good where they can take a carer with their wife who's just had a baby. I know that Kristen Reeks is due really soon and Moses is going to have to take some time off the the big bash to to go and help her with, her, um, with the birth. So it's equal, which I think is really cool. That's been the best part about it. But, yeah, it's it's a real game changer in my mind for 
women's sport in this country, but also I think just women in general that an organisation is willing to to back the person to say, you know, you can go and be a female, you can go and have a life outside of cricket and we will support you through that 100% and when you decide to come back and play the game, we will continue to support you for as long as you feel like you want to play the game. So it's... um. It's unbelievably exciting. Uh, it hasn't changed my plans too much. I think uh, I was always nervous about having to squat down behind the stumps after giving birth. <laughs> it scares the hell out yeah. of me. So I, I'm probably going to leave that um, <laughs> till after I finish playing. But I think for, for the young girls that are involved in the game now, and we've just seen Jess Duffin mm. announce their pregnancy, she's going to be the first one to, to test it out. Hopefully, anyway, that she'll yeah. come back and play the game. But for the young girls that are coming through now to, to normalise the fact that you can be a female, you can have a life, you can have a family and still play elite sport, I think is really exciting. Yeah. You don't have to choose. So you think we'll see more mums competing at the highest level in I hope so. because of this? I've, I've, seen, I've seen Sarah Elliott do it for Australia in a test match. I was so young you and naive. Yeah, I was so young and naive. I was running drinks in England and I walked into the change room at lunch and I was like, what is that noise? It sounds like a uh, like a drone sort of noise and I was like, walk around the corner and there's Sarah Elliott pumping breast milk so that Rob, her husband, could feed the baby while she was out there making 100. 100, like, yeah. That's a remarkable story when you think about it now. It is um, so incredible. And I know how much their family struggled to to come away on tour with her to help support her. So to have her there at the launch to talk about her story and I guess just show what she'd been through and then for the young girls to sort of recognise that as well, that they're going to get looked after, I think was, uh, it was a nice perspective for everyone. We finished the show um, by asking each and every guest to tell us what advice, if they could go back to their 10-year-old self, <laughs> what advice would you give to that little pest, <laughs> as you call yourself, yep. Elisa Healy? Oui, well, I think... You know, and I've I've shared the the story of uh, of our family, and for me, I I wish I had hugged my sister a little bit more. That's what I would have told my ten year old self to enjoy those family times together, not fight so much, hug her a little bit more. But at the same time, I think if you want to, if I wanted, if I knew I wanted to play for Australia at that point in time, I w- I think I would have knuckled down and and done it properly. Um, you know, it's taken me eight years of my professional career to to pull my finger out and and start contributing the way that I should have the whole time. Um, I think I was too busy enjoying myself to uh, remember to actually knuckle down and do the right thing. So for me, I I would have loved to given my younger self that advice to to knuckle down and remember to enjoy it, but to work really hard at what you do. But definitely hug your family a little bit more when I was 10, 11 and 12 would have been nice as well. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on Her Game and and sharing your story with us. Thank you very much for having me. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search on her game podcast.